Oh, let's get it. Monday, December 6th, 2021. Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. However you listen to Born the Battle, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, the player inside the blog on blogs.va.gov. Hope you're having a good week outside of podcast land. I am back, but for one week only. Holidays, man. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only podcast on your rotation like this. After this episode, we will be going on holiday hiatus. It's that time of year where we take a step back as a podcast, retool, refresh for that oncoming year. And it's also a time where we spend time with family. However, this week, we've got a heck of a discussion for you with some great veterans to take us out for year end. However, before we get to it, we got one review while I was gone. This one is from FAW231, three out of five stars, says, enjoy the show, consider female veteran co-host. I really like your show. Well, thank you. I wonder if you would consider a female veteran co-host. It could make it less of our male veteran show that we sometimes invite women to. FAW231, I will consider that. Uh, However, I think that this podcast does do a good job representing as many different types of veterans in the veteran space, including female veterans. And I let them tell their stories how they see fit. Uh, The host doesn't matter in that regard. And I think we have many other reviews that point to that fact. I do love that you're here to listen to stories for all veterans, though. But if you're looking for a podcast that features more women veterans content, please consider another VA podcast out there called She Wears the Boots. Uh, she Wears the Boots exclusively focuses on women veterans and women veteran content. Please take a listen to that when you have a chance. If you haven't yet, please consider a writing a review for Born the Battle on Apple Podcasts, especially those five-star reviews. It does help us climb higher in the algorithms, giving more veterans a better opportunity to discover Born the Battle, listen to the testimonies of their fellow veterans and how they overcame their own challenges, listen to our benefits breakdown episodes, and hear what's in our news releases. It's also the best way for me to communicate with you. So for, you, for those that write their review, I greatly appreciate them. Speaking of news releases, we have three this week. First one says, for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs and Indian Health Service renewed a partnership on October 1st to help the country's nearly 145,000 American Indian and Alaska Native veterans overcome healthcare access barriers. The partnership, originally established in 2003, facilitates healthcare access and improves patient experience information technology, resource sharing, and will now open the door to those agencies to develop an operational plan to achieve four goals and objectives agreed upon with tribal stakeholders. And those four goals are to increase access and improve quality of healthcare and services to the benefit of eligible American Indian and Alaska Native patients served by VA and IHS, facilitate enrollment for eligible American Indian and Alaska Native veterans in VA and IHS healthcare systems, Facilitate the integration of electronic health records and other health information technology systems that affect the healthcare of these veterans. Improve access for patient populations through resource sharing, including technology, providers, training, human resources, services, facilities, communication, and reimbursement. In terms of American Indian and Native American care, recently VA has uh, an establishment of reimbursement agreements enabling VA to reimburse IHS for care 
that our Alaskan Native and American Indian veterans receive at IHS and tribal health care program facilities. Since its inception in 2012, nearly $149 million has been provided from VA to IHS and THPs for the care of nearly 14,000 VA enrolled veterans. VA has also recently extended the agreement for VA consolidated mail outpatient pharmacy services to VA enrolled American Indian and Alaska Native veterans who receive care at IHS clinics. Nearly 6.8 million prescriptions have been processed since the inception of this policy. The Rural Native Veteran Healthcare Navigator Program will be a project under this new agreement. Through this program, healthcare patient navigators help American Indians and Alaska Native veterans to overcome healthcare access barriers by coordinating care across VA, IHS, federally recognized tribes, local communities, and other state and federal agencies. For more information about the VA and IHS partnership, please contact the VHA Office of Rural Health at orhcoms at va.gov or IHS at newsroom at ihs.gov. All right, next one says for immediate release, due to supply chain and staffing shortages, the vendor contracted by the government publishing office to provide printing services for the Department of Veterans Affairs is experiencing delays in printing and mailing notification letters to veterans and claimants. The disruption may impact the ability of some claimants to meet required deadlines via written correspondence with VA. In response to the mailing delays and to protect the best interests of claimants, the VA is extending their response period by 90 calendar days for claimants with letters dated between July 13, 2021 and December 31, 2021. If a claimant does not reply to a time-limited notification, such as making an election of benefits or services, or reporting for a scheduled compensation and pension examination, VA will not take adverse action to deny, reduce, or terminate benefits and services unless, one, claimant is contacted and there is documentation of their right to respond, two, the requested information has been received, or three, the response period has lapsed. VA and GPO are proactively working to address the mailing delays. For questions on this matter, veterans and claimants can contact VA at one 800 827 1000. And finally, the Department of Veterans Affairs announced recently it updated plans to move forward with a system-wide electronic health record modernization program. The plan will mitigate challenges documented in the Comprehensive Lessons Learned report submitted to Congress after this year's strategic review of the EHRM program. VA has developed a new schedule for how it will roll out the electronic health record system across the department to early fiscal year 2024. Future deployments Adjustments and or modifications to the schedule will be made based on any additional clinical and technical findings and will continuously consider the effects of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. For more information about the EHRM effort, see VA's Electronic Health Record Comprehensive Lessons Learned update. It's a long convoluted link. I tell you what, like always, I'll hyperlink the news release into the episode's blog on blogs.va.gov and the link to the lessons learned is at the bottom of the news release. All right, so this last new episode of 2021 is about a very significant event that happened earlier this year, the Afghanistan withdrawal slash evacuation. A lot of podcasts, a lot of podcasters, a lot of news covered it right after it happened. And I wanted to take a little bit of different approach. I conducted a panel roughly a, a month after the withdrawal happened, and the goal was to take some of the initial emotion out of it and understand how different veterans who served in Afghanistan coped 
and healed as the news came in about what was happening. This episode of Born the Battle features four different Afghanistan veterans who discuss how they processed their tangled web of emotions as the Afghanistan withdrawal unfolded, and they also reflect upon that service. And I hope that this conversation, if you serve in Afghanistan, helps you in some way. Enjoy. just going to do introductions to just get us started. Uh, we have Steve Kuprick, a Marine veteran, infantry, two tours to Afghanistan, now wrestles in impact wrestling under the name of Steve Macklin. Uh, Steve, say hey. And, hey. and what, years, what years did you do over there? Uh, I served between 2007 and 2011. I was in Afghanistan from May to November of 2009, and then from January to August of 2011 in Marja. Both were Helmand Province. Uh, 2009 was Operation Gunjari with 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines, and so was Marja in 2011. And uh, the contrast between both deployments, just completely night and day of ROEs and then IEDs and just tactical procedures and everything. Gotcha. Very good. Well, welcome. Uh, Amanda Huffman, Air Force veteran. Uh, she was an engineer in Afghanistan. Is that right? Engineer? Yeah, civil engineer. Gotcha. Uh, and you were on a prov- provincial reconstruction team. Uh, you're now a mom, uh, an author, and a podcast host uh, of Women uh, of the Military podcast. Amanda, again, say hey. Uh, let, her, let everybody know when and where you were over there and, and what provinces you mainly worked in. So I was in Afghanistan in 2010 from February to October, and we were in Kapisa province primarily. We would go into like Bagram and down to Kabul when we were going around to get different to get to different places, but we were primarily primarily in Kapisa, and I was attached to an Army Infantry Unit in the PRT, and so it was an interesting experience. Outstanding. Well, welcome, um, Dan Sharp, uh, Marine veteran, Infantry, five deployments in twelve years. Um, how many were in Afghanistan? Uh, just the one. Uh, my. I joined because of 9-11, and then they sent me everywhere else in the world besides Afghanistan. And then by the time that I got there, bin Laden was already taken care of. So I, uh, I just did my best to stay out of the way. There you go. Uh, now is the CEO, CEO of Pop Smoke Media, uh, which I got to say, man, has changed quite a lot since the last time we talked. It's definitely yeah. evolved. Yeah, we, um, we decided that if we're going to be in the rooms where important conversations are being held, we might want to clean up our act a little bit. <laughs> and uh yeah just as uh, as we continue to get older we have a little bit of reflection where we have a responsibility to leave the military a little bit better than we found it so that way our sons and daughters don't inherit a lot of the same problems that we did yeah well it's been a really good uh it's been really good to see that evolution man it's been good to watch you on that uh same question years and, and where were you out of mainly in afghanistan 2011, I was in Sangin, Afghanistan, in the Iraq and Helmand province uh, with 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines. And yeah, it was a, I'd, I'd like to say it was a good time, but it wasn't, yeah. if I'm being honest. <laughs> gotcha. Very good. Very good. Um, now, the three of you, uh, for a more comprehensive story about yourselves, your individual episodes are in our archives. Anybody want to check, anyone, anybody can check them out. Um, our last panelist, though, welcome to the crew, man, Zach Bell. Is it Zach or Zachary? It's, it's both. Um, whatever whatever I want. 
Yeah, Zachary's what the government gave me. Zach is what you can call me. <laughs> yeah. Marine veteran, mm-hmm. uh, two tours of Afghanistan, mm-hmm. uh, has amassed a pretty large following with veteran with a sign. Yeah, mm-hmm. if, you know, if you see him with the, the backwards hat on, all you got to imagine put the shades, put the cardboard on, and you know, you kind of know where, where that's coming from. Um, I saw that you have a website now, veteranwithasign.com, mm-hmm. uh, with the message, be the change you want to be. Uh, Let's see, we'll be, yeah. We'll be definitely speaking one-on-one soon, man. Um, again, yeah. What, what years were you out there and, and, and where were we at? Um, so I was, uh, I was in the Marines. I was an infantry rifleman. I served with first battalion, six Marines in Garmser of 2008 on the 24th Mew and, uh, did the invasion into Marja in 2010 and, uh, gotcha. South Helmand province. Gotcha. Well, welcome. So, yeah. Um, first of all, I appreciate y'all, uh, coming to talk here about Afghanistan. You know, everyone wanted to talk about when it was happening, uh, a lot of ideas, thoughts, emotions. Um, again, those those all tend to be very emotional, right? When, of when it when it happened. Um, that's not the conversation I wanted to have here on Born the Battle. Um, I wanted to talk about it maybe a month after uh, with those I trusted uh, who could come together and, and hopefully help others. That uh, you know, and talk about how you processed it. Um, you know, share a nugget, uh, if you will, on how. Hey, this is what helped me, sort of thing. Uh, Put what you felt to good. Put what you felt to good use. Um, so I appreciate all of you for coming on. Now I love I love getting the years out out there because many of us deployed in areas at the same time or or were on the same ground, shopped at the same PX. Uh, something usually ties us all together, right? Uh, when we serve in a similar place, did did any of you guys have that when you guys were listening to each other? Yeah, I uh, I uh, was hearing Zach talk about Hellman, and uh, kind of brought back some memories. Uh, you know, perhaps we use the same outhouse on a fob that 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 would have been Providence. Yeah, one well, can only hope. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think uh, I think the majority of veterans that that have been impacted greatly, um, I would say, they probably have the highest level of impact. Like it's all generational, right? Um, at that time during the war, uh, Afghanistan was the most kinetic and maintained. During that presidency time frame, the most kinetic fighting it ever was. It was the big final push to Afghanistan. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember they, they basically threatened us with going to Iraq at that time on both tours. And they're like, you're going to Iraq. And I was like, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I literally was like, yes. Um, because, uh, you know, it was a different environment um, than, as opposed to being in that, that uh, area of the country. I mean, that part of the country at that time. Um it was the the last bastion, you know, which actually yeah. was a place called Camp Bastion, the last bastion of the Taliban. That's yeah, I was about to say, no pun intended, right? Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> it's what I do. Um, but no, it's um, it, it's wild to see. I mean, Afghanistan as a whole is just a place that American and Western society as a whole just doesn't really comprehend yeah. um, because it's uh, it's tribal, um, which everybody thinks they understand that they don't. Um, they just don't. Um, like I remember we showed them, uh, their flag when Hamid Karzai came in town and he was like, you know, he's pressing the flesh, doing that thing. And like, we showed them their flag, we showed them the president and they're like, who's that guy? And I was like, that's your president. <laughs> he's like, they're like, okay, what's that? And I was like, he's in charge of all of you. And he's like, nah, man, I got the elder. Like that dude's, he's in charge. And I was like, well, he's in charge of that guy. And he's like, ah, oh, whatever, dude, what's that big thing? And I was like, that's your flag. Oh, whatever, man, I'm out. Like, that was just basically it. And uh, I think about that a lot um, when um, people try and like say things like, I don't understand why they don't want a better quality of life. 
mean, it's kind of hard to argue that they don't have a better quality of life in some aspects, but that's just my perspective on the matter. I gotcha. All right. Uh, show of hands. How, how many, how many process these emotions? And I'll, I'll say it, I'll, I'll say who, you know, how many hands were raised on this. Uh, during all this, how many of you have you processed anger? All four. Hate. Two. Sadness. Four. Wanting to do more. Four. Um, have had someone to really talk about it with. Four. That's good. Um, now, all right, for each one of you, uh, we can run down in the same order as we did the intros. Um, how did you learn about Afghanistan uh, was going to fall the way that it did? I could have told you from when we were there. Uh, once you kind of got told everybody was pulling out of Afghanistan, we were there in 2009 and 2011, the way the A&A were, and they really didn't care. And back to the whole tribal that Zach was talking about, it's very much that, like the ISKI were the ones that cared more for their entire population and for that area, like the neighborhood watch. The Afghan army was just, I don't know, you couldn't tell who was who uh, half the time. You knew they had the uniform on, but you knew a lot of them were probably Taliban. One day they'd be there, the next they're gone. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, in a sense of a show. Um, just didn't trust them, but, you know, you had to work with them, try to train them the way you could because, you know, that was what we were told to do. Um, but, yeah, as soon as everything kind of was happening with the way things were pulled out and obviously with the way the media is these days, you don't know what to listen to or what to trust. Yeah. Uh, but I talked to friends that are there. Uh, one of my buddies is on a Mew right now that uh, was supposed to be slated to go to Kabul and then got put towards Okinawa. But um, from what I'm getting told from him and obviously OPSEC in that certain aspect. But, uh, from, yeah. yeah, just uh, I saw that coming when we were there in 2009. Gotcha. Amanda, how'd you learn about how everything went down? Was going to go down? Yeah, I would say the same thing. I knew when we were deployed in 2010 and when I hadn't really thought about it for a long time, but uh, I had a conversation with one of our interpreters about Afghanistan and he was like, I'm here to get out. I do not want to stay in Afghanistan. There's no future for Afghanistan. And this was an Afghan who was intelligent, smart, and wanted a better life for himself. And he saw the only way forward to get out and to get his citizenship through being an interpreter for the Americans. And so that conversation stuck with me through the whole rest of the deployment. And then when we were leaving and I found out we were leaving, I couldn't stop thinking about what he said and how that is, I mean, it played out exactly how he said it would. And that was in 2010. Wow. So this is, again, you, this conversation you had 10 years ago, saw it coming. And then when the news started coming, you're like, oh, this is what he meant. Yes, for sure. Got you. Dan. So I have uh, been making memes saying that the Afghan army was woefully ill-prepared to deal with uh, their assigned duties for years now. Uh, so it was, it was one of those very bitter, sweet moments where I was like, aha, I told you so but at what cost, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's not to, to detract from uh, some of the, uh, the Afghan soldiers and police that we worked with, because, you know, as with all things, like uh, Steve was saying, like you have some people that would show up, get a paycheck. And as soon as they have that cash in their hand, they bounce. And 
and uh, heat purifies. So I feel that where you really started to see some resolve in the, the Afghan units was when they would take casualties and it would be night and day. I mean, the, I was uh, embedded with a, a platoon of Afghans. There was like eight of us and uh, close to 50 of them. And when they had their first mass casualty uh, experience, um, it, it's like a flip uh, switched. And the ones that didn't want to be there left and the ones that wanted to be there stayed. And unfortunately, uh, it, it shouldn't have to come to that. But we, uh, we saw all too often with the blue on blue instances and the desertion instances and just the fact that we send our best and our brightest over there. Uh, not that I'm saying that I am the best and brightest, but I was among giants uh, who went over there and trained the forces for years. And so... Yeah, I was kind of doing my social media tap dance, like trying to you know point a spotlight and like, hey, everybody look over there. Like they say some crazy stuff's happening. And then it was just almost like within a three day period where it went from, you know, they, they're telling us like, oh, yeah, they're well funded. They their army is four times bigger. They have air support. And then three days later, it was. The capital has fallen. And so that was a very surreal period for me in those three days where, you know, you want to trust information that you're given from reputable sources. And when everyone in their uh, and and their undersecretary tells you that, hey, you know, your efforts were not in vain. We've spent the last, you know, 10, 20 years plus near 100 billion dollars of taxpayer money propping up this army so that way it can stand on its own, much like um, things were doing in Iraq, where it was a little hairy there for a while. But for the most part. You know, Iraq is hopefully you know still pulling through, but then within that three day period where you know everything just kind of failed, I I took a step back from kind of all my duties and I just felt just a little lost. Yeah. You know, I I didn't want to make it about me and you know post a whole bunch of things of my reflections right away because you know although we are all human, we all have our own emotions and thoughts and opinions. You know, I, I kind of felt very small in the face of all this. You know. Uh, when you're just a single rifleman out in the middle of Helmand province, uh, surrounded by IEDs, you also feel very small. And so it, it almost put me back in a childlike state where, you know, I am only able to impact what's in my sector of fire. And what was in my sector of fire was trying to you know, help people that were trying to get out, link with uh, resources, people who wanted to help and contribute, connect them with the right people, try to give good information in, in the time frame. But I had to come to that realization that like I, I really could not do anything. And there were good Afghan soldiers that I served with, uh, legitimate good soldiers who cared about their country, who risked their life for me and vice versa. And it, my heart just broke seeing what happened to their country. Did. OK, so you guys kind of knew this was coming. Were you guys surprised on how fast it happened? I'm surprised we left at all. Yeah, I agree on that. It's it's completely contrary to every other thing we've done in every other war in the history of our nation. Germany seems to be doing pretty well with our maintained presence throughout their growth, and um, a post World War II vacuum. Jan uh, Japan, Vietnam, Korea, we're constantly putting new bases in Africa. Like I understand, I understand uh, not maintaining combat operations and all that jazz, but like. Um, the Middle East as a whole, it's really Southwest Asia, um, is really just this kind of, I mean, it used to be called Mesopotamia, like the promised land, all these different things. It's, it's rich in minerals, uh, 
props, opportunity, and we it's just a huge power vacuum. So I, I honestly never thought we would leave. I thought we would probably leave like a base in Bagram and one in Kanahar. Like that's realistically what I thought would happen. Yeah. Because um, we've done it. We're still doing it in every other country we've been in. Um, Except Vietnam. We left Vietnam for a, a bit. Did, did, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like from an official yeah, standpoint, yeah. Yeah. you still had the helicopter coming off the embassy type of thing. Yeah, we, we I get we what did. you're saying. I, I, on everything else, I get what you're saying. Yeah, no. Um, no, and to his point, we. Um, I feel that if the government hadn't fall, hadn't fall, fell, uh, sorry, my Marine Corps education, forgot how to conjugate English words. Um, if the government hadn't fall, uh, fell, then I, I think we probably would have maintained a presence. But no, to, to Zach's point, the fact that we, you know, we, we pulled forces out of Bagram and just, you know, from a kind of a big blue arrow perspective, you had um, different schools of thought of how particularly you could have done things in the specifics. Yeah. But I think as a general consensus, most veterans who have been to Afghanistan, who looked at the information at hand, looked at the actions, I think, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but I feel like most of us would have done things differently. Um, I know at least I didn't have any any shiny things on my collar, so my my opinion's only worth the MRE and the burn pit. But I, I feel that there's a lot of us who who feel that you know we shouldn't have uh, removed troops from Bagram. That there wasn't a plan to evacuate anything but the troops and the top level diplomats. And uh, I think that if we had maintained um, a, a little bit more of a presence, but then at the same time, I'm conflicted by like, you know, how much, how many lives and how many taxpayer dollars, you know, uh, America has had air dominance and nearly every conflict it's ever had since World War II. And the Afghan army had air dominance as well. At, at what point in time do we say enough, enough? And how many, how many brothers and sisters do we have to bury? And I don't have a right answer, but yeah. I feel like a lot of veterans are really struggling with those two questions. Should we have stayed or should we have left? And if we were going to leave, Many of us don't agree with the way we did it. Yeah. I think that's one consensus a lot of us have. Um, what helps you in that, in that conflict that you have? Well, just speaking to veterans in general, like I talk to my buddies all the time. You and I talk Tanner all the time. And yeah. It just, even when everything was kind of happening and just reached out to a bunch of my buddies I served with in 2-8 and, and weapons company. And we we're just, our group messages are going off like, Hey, you good? Any problems? Like everybody's just pissed off and, and it's just going to be that way. And like, it's funny to talk about the way things kind of are is like, cause I've dealt with a really good chain of command and I've dealt with a really bad chain of command. So it's like looking at this, it's in a sense, a bad chain of command and it just kind of happened and it, it sucks. You can't do anything about it. Cause we don't control that aspect of it. We can only control what we do and where we're there on foot. And yeah. So just, I don't know, taking care of each other and talking and speaking about it. And that's one thing a lot of people don't ever really try to talk about, like with my significant other, Deanna, like we and I chat and she asked me when all this was happening. She's just like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just pissed. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I mean, the guys are talking on the phone or just get on a phone call and just go out in the yard and just kind of like vent to each other and just listen and be there for each other. Cause it is one of those things where you don't want to be in vain of what happened there. And a lot of people emotionally, like whether you have the emotional scars, the physical scars, and anybody that's dealt with a bunch of crap over there, it's just, it's just like a big letdown of, I don't, not betrayal. Um, it's not, it's kind of like a betrayal, but more of just like, just someone was ripped from you a little bit. I don't know if that comprehends with you guys. I don't know. When it all happened, I was just like, this sucks. 
how, how important was it to reach out to other people? Yeah, it, it was super important. And I was really struggling because it had happened. I deployed 10 years ago and no one had reached out. And I told my husband and he was kind of like, what, what do you mean? What's going on? And then my friend sent me a message and was like, are you okay? And it kind of was like permission for me to feel all the emotions that I was feeling because I, I felt like, is this really a big deal? Like I deployed, it was over 10 years ago. I should be fine, but it's not. And when she reached out, it was kind of a realization that the fact that I'm having these emotions and that someone's caring to ask about me and the number of people who reached out to see how I was doing, that was so important. And I reached out to other people. And so it kind of was like a ripple effect of like someone reached out to me and then I reached out to someone else and then it kind of worked its way. And I also am really lucky because I'm going through therapy with Cohen Veterans Network right now. And so it was like the perfect time to be in therapy because I had a therapist to talk to each week as it was all going on. And we were able to work through some of the feelings and the struggles that I was going through. So from what I'm hearing is like, it's super important to just talk to somebody. Gotcha. Now, Amanda, you're, Amanda, you're the only one that's, that's in this group that's not infantry. Um, your job over there was to build, not destroy. Um, I remember you were telling me that you were building schools for, for girls. And I imagine you took that in as it was happening and, and you went on, you probably went on a different journey emotionally than, than most. Uh, where did you go and how have you arrived to where you are now? So at the time I was still, or I guess I'm still connected to one of the interpreters that I was working with when I was over there and he was trying to get out. And so I think that took the wow. forefront of the emotion in the beginning because I was really concerned about him and his family and if they were going to get out of Afghanistan. And that was probably the biggest challenge. I mean, I was going from day by day connecting with him and there was a 24 hour period where I lost contact and I thought he had been murdered and just dealing with those emotions of having to not know what's happening and to feel like it was somehow my fault that Afghans were suffering because they worked with our team while we were over there. And I only connected with him and there were so many other Afghans that I worked with. And so that was really hard. Luckily he did get out and he, my family decided to donate to his, to an organization in his name and he was able to get out of Afghanistan. And that, that has been really helpful because I can say at least one person that I knew their life has changed. She's in America. We're still connected and they're starting their life. But I mean, there are a lot of other emotions, but that was like the biggest one that I think a lot of people don't realize is there's still connections between the Americans here and some of the Afghans back there. And dealing with that emotion was not something I ever expected to deal with. Uh, Helping him getting to where he's at now, you know, obviously how, how, how did that help you today as far as where you are now? I think it helped because I did one thing, but I still struggle because I feel like I didn't do enough. You asked that question. Do you yeah. wish you could have done more? And yeah. I'm like, I helped one person. I changed one person's life and their family is safe, but what else could I have done? And really in reality, we gave everything that month that we could give. And so it's not like we had millions of dollars to help more people. And so there's this like inner struggle of like, did I do enough? And then a reminder, that's the therapy talking of like, I did what I could and that's what's important. And to stay focused on like 
what I did. And even for my deployment over there, I did what I was trained to do. I was yeah. did the mission that I was supposed to do. And then I came home and that was my job. Extremely important. Um, Steve, I know you were, you were offered a contract gig to go out there during that entire evacuation. Uh, you don't have to say the money, um, but what was the offer or the mission? Um, and I know, dude, we've talked about it. I know you wanted to go like many of us, that offer would have been tempting. Um, but again, you've had, you would have to leave everything that you're currently doing to go half a world away to a past part of our lives. What stopped you? Go ahead. Oh, what stopped me was just, uh, well, Deanna yelling at me. She's like, I'll leave you. I was like, okay, cool. I'm not going. (laughs) (laughs) She straight up said that. Yeah. I was all right. (laughs) She probably wouldn't though. No, Um, but, um, it was a 10 day op. Uh, money was decent for 10. It was more than what I've been getting paid right now. Um, it would have been more than a single deployment in general. Uh, but yeah, it was for 10 days. Everything was given to you, uh, gear wise and, uh, for you to have your kit and everything. And then, um, it was very tempting and it was just more tempting too, just to go over and do something about it. Cause again, wanted to go and I don't know, you feel like you left something on the table. Like I always afforded myself. I always feel like I have more like in the tank of if when I did get out, I wanted to just keep deploying, but you know, that's not the career path you can choose in the military anymore is staying in the infantry and you have to go to a B build eventually. I'm not that type of person. I was, I wanted to fight, but yeah, um, yeah just, uh, I was very tempting. And like I sent, I sent you the text. I was like, Hey, check this out. And I'm in the gym as I got it. And then I got home and had the conversation with her at dinner and, uh, Ah, man, it was, it was tempting, but, um, yeah, if I was to obviously die over there, nobody would know. That was also one of the other things. It's just like, yeah, is is it worth it? I know. I don't know. No, Steve makes a great point because, um, uh, veterans and military kind of have this, um, this proclivity where they, they feel like the, they have to carry everything themselves. You know, you're always taught to take initiative. If you see something near you that needs correcting, then you better do so. If someone's fallen out on a hike, you know, you you help take some of the weight off, you help carry them, whatever the case is. And so we feel like we have this burden. And I think it really speaks to the community where we had so many people who really feel like they could have done more, or they wanted to do more. And from a mental health perspective, you have to ask yourself, like, how much would be enough? If you did 25 deployments, would that be enough? Or you know, would you, would you feel the need to go back for a 26? Um, if you, you had a whole bunch of disposable income and you donated it all, would you still feel like that was enough? And the answer is really no. Uh, yeah, you, you can't pour from an empty, an empty vessel. And so you have to be able to take care of yourself and understand where your life lies and the priorities and the things that you need to be as, as a, a whole person. And then and that comes with all things. So, I would say that if anyone you know, takes anything that I have to say on this interview away, it's um, kind of like Amanda was saying, like, it's it's okay to, to give yourself um, a little bit of a reprieve. You could set your, your rucksack down. You don't, you don't have to carry the burden. Uh, we all want to do more, but at the end of the day, you know, even if you do 20 years, most of us would only have been 38 when you retire. You still got a whole life after that. You got people who love you, people who care about you, other things that you can do in your community and the world. There's so many other ways that you can contribute. And we kind of have this mindset that if you're not boots on the ground, player one at the ready, grouching and pieing, you know, the danger area, that you're somehow not, you know, doing an important enough job. And that's just not the case. 
you know, grunts would be nothing if it wasn't for the medevacs coming to pick us up or the EOD or the support, the logistics, the intelligence, even down to the person who's sewing the stitches in our body armor. And so, you know, whether you were infantry or any other job, like it's, it's okay to set the rucksack down because as I said earlier, like we're all just each one person. You can't do everything by yourself. I think it's important to understand too, that like while you were in it, while you were there, you gave a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like it's, and and it's, a, it's, it's a part of your life and, and you did the best you could at the time you were there. And, and that's, you, you like, like Dan said, you gotta, you gotta, you have the whole rest of your life ahead of you too. So that's good stuff. Um, now Dan, you know, I was, I think I talked to you about it. I was feeling, I, I was feeling a certain way when we shut down operations in Iraq. Uh, and when ISIS sprang up and, and we had those 300 Marines surrounded on all Assad air base, um, I know you served in both countries. What was similar in your mind of the pullouts and, and what was, def- what was different and how we pulled out here? I think that, um, the, one of the, the starkest contrasts, uh, between the two was the, the, the way that we were able to kind of like unite some of the tribalism in Iraq. Um, yeah. in 2007, we had the, I think it was the Sunni awakening and, you know, you, you saw kind of from there on, it was a catalyst where people who didn't necessarily cooperate before started to cooperate. And we never really had that spark moment in Afghanistan where, uh, like Zach was saying, they, people over there were more concerned with, you know, who was, who lived within eyesight. You know, if I can't see your, your hut from the top of my mountain, then you don't exist to me. And it's kind of, it's kind of really hard to, to come together because like, yeah, you look at the, the sense of American patriotism, you know, like Toby Keith kicks off with another rock anthem and we're all ready to go. And that's just, that's just not the case uh, over there. I think there was a lot more cultural um, identity in Iraq because of how devastating the Iraq and Iran uh, conflict was, you know, between both sides, you had like something like a million casualties. And so I think that they kind of had a better idea um, of the gravity of how an outside force can, you know, come in and stuff, but there just never was that, that real spark moment. And I think that we learned the hard way that no matter how much money you dump into something, uh, that that's not what's going to support it. And my heart really breaks for our allies that came from other countries. You know, like we have our awesome support system. We have all these great, you know, social media platforms and communities and stuff like that for the warfighter. And there's just not that that same equivalency in a lot of other countries. And yeah, you hope we learn that lesson. Yeah, I would hope. And so you have guys and gals from Australia and from Norway and the Netherlands and, you know, all, all over. And, you know, they went and had life-changing experiences in combat, and then they didn't come home to the same support network that we did. True. And so, although we have to be able to acknowledge that we have issues going on and that there are feelings and emotions that we need to process through, I would also, uh, you know, challenge people. If you, if you make contact with anybody that you served with from a partner nation, like reach out to them too. Like we have Afghan troops that were in the U.S. attending career courses when their government failed. And you kind of think about how surreal that is for them. Like they, you know, like who's, who's signing that, that individual's paycheck, what unit do they belong to? They're just kind of, you know, a man without a nation, if you will, in every, every sense of the phrase. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Zach, uh, your website says be the change you want to see. Uh-huh. A lot of humor goes into what you do. Uh, I know, and Dan too, but I know I saw a lot of memes that came out around the time of the evacuation. Uh, Art, mm-hmm. Art of War comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, did did humor help you in, in processing all this? And if so, how so? You know, for, for me, I think, I think humor is the starting point for everyone to really have like a more meaningful conversation. I mean, um, I was, I was taken aback by, um, feelings that, that I had throughout the entire thing. I mean, a big thing that I did that I don't ever do is there's like these lanes I have in my life. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a father, you know, I've got this page and then there's, there's me and they're all very delineated or at least I try to think so. Like, um, like veteran with a sign is like, uh, he goes by warfighter. Like that's, it's not me. That's like, um, my wife would probably say it's me, but that's, that's like me turned all the way up. Right. Um, it's, it's an aspect of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, the gooey version of me, like in Rick and Morty, a more relevant topic, the bad version, <laughs> uh, the toxic version. And, um, but, um, I have this picture that was, uh, me and this young child, this very young girl, and it was when I became uh, a father for the first time. And I remember giving her candy, and I saw her all the time my first appointment. And for the first time ever, actually, I shared something about my personal life. And uh, I was just kind of awestruck by the idea that that's a, a young, you know, a teenager to a young lady now. And, like, I just uh, was um, thinking about how I, I didn't know where she was. And like how different it was, like she's got to be close to the same age as my children. I'm a little bit older and, uh, you know, how weird it, it is that like, I mean, for so long, I, I, I was very invested in her like personal safety and security because it was this village that was right next to our position. We patrolled all the time. And, um, that just kind of came back in a way I didn't anticipate it. Like it, uh, it unearthed some soil that I didn't know existed is probably the best way to describe it. Like, it was like, Oh, I, <laughs> I remember that. Um, and so I've, I've always tried to use humor as like a starting point to try and talk about things because in general, most people don't really like to talk about, um, things that are personal because they're scared of what they, what might happen, what might come yeah. out of it. Um, I'm sure. too dumb to know the difference. So I just go in head first, but <laughs> realistically my page is just one big therapy session. So. Yes. We, uh, we have to trick people into feeling things with comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually, I mean, it's how change, like, if I just tell you not to <laughs> commit suicide all the time or talk to your friends or not to commit suicide or not to commit suicide or talk or whatever, that, that just, nobody pays attention to that. But, like, if I tell you something, like, I can't back up without a ground guide, that's a, that's a nuanced way to talk about how we're different after military service that most everyone can relate to. And so, like, that's what I'm trying to get you to think about. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I am different. Like, you know. Like I still wear shirt stays because they're awesome. Like when I wear a dress shirt, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I do the same thing. Yeah, so you look good while you're doing it. So good for you. Um, your shirt's tucked in, your socks stay up. I mean, get out there. I mean, especially Tanner. Tanner's on there in the Beltway, you know, throwing around legislation. Those socks better be high. I ain't throwing around so no that's... legislation. I'm just. Yeah, you're part of the problem. Know. That's all right. Um, that's I'm all right. Getting paid, I'm, getting, oh, yeah. I'm, getting, <laughs> I'm getting. I'm getting paid to bullshit. 
Okay. Yeah. That's what I got to do. <laughs> Good for you. Well, you, you, you're fitting in just fine. But um, mm. but no, like that's – it's kind of a weird thing though that my shirt and my socks are attached to each other and like it's a habit I'm not going to break. My whole outfit just – I had a bunch of shirts when I got out of service. So like there's these little things. Like I, I feel like humor is the door to emotional honesty. I just made that up. But that's that's the reality of it because like, like – I'm uh, going to go ahead and copyright that now before you have a chance. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. right. I got Johnny Cochran's ghost as my lawyer, so we'll be good. <laughs> so no, but like no one really wants to do hard work as much as they really should. And um, I, tr- I try to do that, but it's been hard. Like I didn't think I would care as much as I did. I was full stop not aware that I would have – I'd be like, mm, I don't know. That's how it started, like, and it, you know, and then you know to see it all happening. Like you mentioned, Iraq. We're still in Iraq. Like yeah, <laughs> we yeah. haven't left Iraq. Everyone who had a contract in Afghanistan now has a contract in Iraq. So it couldn't be more different between the two countries. Like, and not, many people, not many people know that. Not many people no. know that. Like know? I call people and they're like, "Bro, you want an Iraq contract?" And money's going up. It's like double right now because Iraq's and like it's just wild. So I um. I don't know. Humor opens the door to do the work is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah I think so. I dig it. Steven, Amanda, uh, Dan, Zach, I appreciate all you for coming on. Uh, last question I always ask uh, as we're almost out of time here. Um, is there anything about this that I didn't ask or I didn't bring up that you think is important to share? I feel that the question that we need to ask ourselves and our leaders is we have uh, two examples of instances where the American military was called on. And in both instances, they never lost a single major battle in Vietnam nor in Afghanistan. Yet in both instances, we had an unceremonious withdrawal and the government collapse. So we need to ask ourselves and we need to ask our leaders What are we going to do different next time to make sure that we're not sending our children into a conflict that troops are going to win every battle, but then their leaders are going to lose the war? Strong. Yeah, Yeah, I can't follow that one. Sure you can. (laughs) You can just edit it and put it in front of mine. (laughs) I can can totally do that. (laughs) That sums up a lot, though. Um, It's just, like he said, the ground troops are the, the ones that are on the ground are doing the fighting. It's the ones that are in the... And the offices are losing the wars and it's the same here too. Now you look everything on the news and looking at the world of you have people posting things or saying things and they're just fighting from an armchair. Yeah. Uh, literally, if you want to get the experience, go do it. That That's my best thing to tell people and not really a question, but go. If something like this ever happens, it's, I know I'll, I'll take that call again. I'm an idiot for it. And, just like we were talking before, if, if it's called upon, I'll go do it. Just like I got that text. But um, yeah, not really a question. It's more of an answer, but let's, you hit it on the Deanna, head. Let's, Deanna decides to sheet in the leg or something to make sure you don't go. No, she knows I'll go. <laughs> Amanda, anything? I just think that we just need to remember what the Americans have done and just to hear our stories. I think if you're still listening to us talk about this, it's just so important what you're doing, what I'm doing with my podcast and just getting these stories out here because I love listening to your podcast and hearing all the stories. And I just, I wish more 
Americans were listening to our stories and hearing about our experience and not just seeing the highlights of what's happening on the news, but like actually hearing the story. Because I think you're talking about humor, but I think story also is really important because if you hear a personal story of like what happened, it changes your perspective because you actually can understand what it's like to be over there. And I think we just need more stories and more veterans talking about what they experienced so that people will know it what happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. Zach? I think we stand at a unique time in the history of our nation and in the history of the world. We're on the forefront of this precipice of change to where we're just concluding the longest war in the history of ever in the modern era um, to where we need to really strive to remember the moment that we are in and the reality that we find now where there's literal generations that have been shaped, molded and um, been affected by, you know, the events of nine 11 and everything thereafter so that we can actually like, look at this, you know, like I said, an armchair quarterback, perspective, but like really take a chance to really understand what, what was done right and what was done wrong to find a way to avoid humanity's greatest failure, which is war. That is our greatest failure as a species is that the only way we can settle this is between who lives and who dies and uh, anything that can be done to avoid that in the future um, in the most timely manner possible, I, I think is what we really need to focus on is like, they're not bad people. People don't join the Taliban because in my experience, because they really like it, it's because they paid. It was a good job. Like <laughs> that was just it. Like mm-hmm. it, it wasn't, you know, ideological in nature it was just like they pay bro like that's that's what it translated to me once as and i always think about that that like if i was over there i'd probably be a taliban you know so it all definitely all you guys and gals like we'd all be over there doing a podcast for al jazeera but a uh, boat in an rpg is a pretty enticing reenlistment bonus i mean yeah what if somebody told you they give you like a sheet metal from a russian tank what would you do so no i i think i think we just really need to stop uh, dehumanizing and really Remember that they're just people trying to make their way through the world. Yeah. So. You're here. Um, well, man, you, you, you know, you said, you said you appreciate me for telling the stories. I appreciate all you guys for living the stories that I've been able to tell. And, and, you know, man and Dan, you guys tell you, you guys tell stories on your podcast too. So I definitely appreciate all of you. Uh, appreciate all for coming out. Until um, next time, guys, we are out later. Later. Bye. I served in Vietnam. I served in World War II. I served in Afghanistan. And VA serves us all. No matter when you served. No matter if you saw combat or not. There are benefits for veterans of every generation. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. panelists for coming on this episode and if you served in afghanistan i hope that conversation has helped i hope it helps you in some way for more information on all of our panelists all of them but zach have previous episodes and you can find them in our archives and for more information on what zach is doing you can look it up at veteranwithassign.com steve since his episode has moved on from the wwe to impact wrestling and you can find more information about him at impactwrestling.com forward slash Steve hyphen Macklin. 
This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is from our VA Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our digital media team honors a veteran on all of our social media platforms and with a blog on blogs.va.gov. You can nominate the veteran in your life by sending in a short write-up and about five photos to newmedia at va.gov. Jamie Foxx grew up on the Fort Belknap Reservation, and I hope I said that right, in Montana, as a member of both the Gros Ventre and the Matisse tribes, and I hope I said those right. At the age of 17, she enlisted in the Air Force. Fox spent six weeks in San Antonio, Texas, completing her basic training. Then she received mechanical training for three months at Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas. After graduating from this training, she became a crew chief on B-1B Lancers at Dice Air Force Base in Abilene, Texas. All in Texas. Interesting. Fox deployed to Doha, Qatar, Qatar, however you want to say it, where she continued to work on B-1Bs for six months. After completing this deployment, she re-enlisted and requested to be stationed at McCord Airfield Air Force Base in Tacoma, Washington. Close to my hometown. Love it. While at the base, she worked on C-17 Glowmaster 3s, and as part of Operation Enduring Freedom, she deployed to Kandahar, Afghanistan in November of 2011. While on deployment, Fox was promoted to Staff Sergeant. She left Afghanistan in June of 2012, returning to Washington, For the last three years of her service, she trained airmen on the basics of the C-17. In 2016, Fox left the Air Force. At home, Fox had constant support during and after her time serving. Her tribe honored her when she returned from her first deployment. She also found support through music, which which has played an important role in her life. Ever since she was 10 years old, she's been playing the fiddle. Her musical talent helped her transition from her time in service to civilian life and in recent years, she has built a reputation for her musical talent. Fox met her husband at a music festival in Washington, and they both now live in Denmark. Air Force veteran Jamie Fox, thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a future born the battle veteran of the week so we can all learn their story, you can. Just send me an email at podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why I'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov. There's also a whole podcast section there. And follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhoney, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Thank you for staying and subscribe while we go on hiatus. And we will be back in 2022 with some more great Born the Battle episodes. Until then, take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. bullets fly day and night rain. Simplify till we're another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up. Seven, six, two round, that'll cut them down in an instant. Point 
Let's fly to in that rain. Simplify to or die another campaign. Here we go, lock and load over 331. Lug a thousand rounds, and I ain't bringing back one.